From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Gators did what many believed to be impossible last weekend, pulling off a thrilling 16-10 upset of LSU that defied the pundits and punched their ticket back to Atlanta for a second straight year. And while the allure of another meeting with Alabama dominated much of the postgame discussion, there's one huge test still left on the docket this week in Tallahassee. In a critical game for a Florida senior class that has yet to beat their arch rivals, Florida and Florida State are preparing for their annual Share a Little Sunshine Showdown. To get you set for this titanic matchup, today we'll hear from sophomore offensive lineman Tyler Jordan and FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. First up today is our chat with one of Florida's talented young offensive linemen laying the bedrock for the future. While it hasn't always been an easy process for an inexperienced yet pivotal unit, the O-line is showing clear signs of gelling and improved that by anchoring a strong ground game against the vaunted defense of LSU. While Tyler Jordan was among the injured Gators unable to compete on Saturday, we wanted to know what it was like just being on the sideline for such an intense game. Oh, um, the atmosphere was definitely great. You know, we came out there um, after all the stuff they said about us. Um, we had a chip on our shoulder. We had something to prove, and um, we definitely went out there and did that. And after the game, um, us celebrating in the end zone, that was just a great feeling. Um, we had all our fans there, and it was great that they came and showed up and supported. There was a lot of talk about the LSU hurricane situation after the game, but not a lot publicly before it. Was that really something that was fueling you guys behind the scenes? Um, it was all the talk that's been happening um, for the past weeks before it, um, talking about how we were scared to play. We weren't scared to play at all. So we came out and um, prepared, and we came out there and gave them what they deserved. You know, all these fans talking that we're scared and that we're dodging them and we're not playing them with healthy players on their team. Um, we had a ton of guys injured on our team. And, you know, to go out, um, a lot of young guys came. Um, David Reese stepped up, played a heck of a game. Um, a lot of other guys did too. That last drive is going on, and I'm sure that the tension is unbearable there. What's it like on the sideline as LSU is marching down the field and you know what's hanging in the balance? For me, it was confidence. You know, we play against these guys, our defense, every day. We have the best defense in the nation, um, the best front in the nation, and you know they've got your back. They're going to hold the fort down for you, and they did. Fourth down, three seconds, everything's on the line. 
Where are you looking during that? I mean, it's hard when you watch it on TV to see exactly what's happening. What are you guys doing on the sideline on that play, and how do you even know the result? Um, for me, I was looking because we're directly in the field, and we're looking at the end zone, and it's just uh, going to be a big jumble of people. Um, for me, I was turned looking at the corner scoreboard because um, I could kind of see an aerial view of everything, whether he got it or not. Could you tell immediately he didn't get in, or were you waiting to see what the I call could, was? I could tell. As soon as I saw T's jumping around, um, I knew we had it. So in that moment, you also capture your second straight SEC East title. What does it mean to have the opportunity to go to Atlanta again and, and play Alabama? It's a great feeling. Um, I think it's redemption. You know, we came out there, didn't get the result we wanted last year. So that's definitely going to be a factor in our preparation for that week. And yet that's next week. This week is Florida State. How difficult is it having that emotion, that high from LSU, but then immediately going into another game that's so important? Um, Well, we prepared well last week. That was the number one thing we've been um, harping on in our meetings. You know, we prepared extremely well, and you saw the result. We came into Death Valley and won. Now we just got to do the same thing. We got to prepare as, or if not harder, to go out there and beat Florida State. Coach Max said LSU was treated as a home game for you guys, and I think that confused a lot of people. What did that mean? How was it different than a normal road trip? Um, well, we had the we had the home game at LSU scheduled. They were going to come here um, and play us here, but you know, we still treated it as a home game because it was our home game. We were going to play Presbyterian, which is another home game, which we lost too. And you know, we treated it like the swamp. We're in Louisiana. We're in the Bayou, so it's another swamp. So I know it was a really difficult week for you when the original game was supposed to happen because of your family being impacted by Hurricane Matthew. Can you talk about what that was like for you and, and how your family's doing after all that. Oh, yeah, um, I'm from Jacksonville, so I kept tracking the um, storm during the whole week, seeing if they were going to be in the path of destruction that it um, hit, and it kind of hit a little south of where, hit south where we lived in St. Augustine. But um, my family wasn't really affected that, or too bad. We had, like, some broken limbs from our tree in the backyard fell. Um, our power went out for, like, a day, um, so, but we had, they had the generator running. Um, but some family friends of mine, actually, a tree fell in their, um, like, back porch, like, living room area. Oh, wow. Um, and it broke through while they were sitting in the room. Hmm. So there were pictures on Facebook, a video on Facebook about it. So that just makes it real, I guess. Yeah. And that's why for you, when people are upset that there's a football game not being played, you can personally say, well, there's a lot of things going on that, that are more important. Yeah, you got to realize um, how many people, like, get affected by this, how many people's power goes out. People died during the storm. Um, a lot of our players on our roster had family and friends that were um, in just the path of the storm. So it's not fair to us going out there to play a game when you're sitting there worrying about your family, if they're all right, or what's going on with them. While we're talking about family, can you talk about growing up in Jacksonville and about your parents, what they did for a living, and, and all those details? Um, my parents were um, their teachers. Uh, my dad actually just stopped working as a teacher. He's working in Orlando now. My whole family moved to Orlando, but back in Jacksonville, um, my dad was a high school teacher. He actually taught me. He taught English and um, senior religion. Um, I went to Bishop Kennedy High School. It's a Catholic school. And then my mom taught first grade for San Juan del Rio Catholic School down in St. John's County. And then they just moved to Orlando the past couple of weeks. They finally moved everything out of the old house, um, so they're living in Orlando now. So were you taught by both of them on your way up or or just your dad? Um, Both of them. Were they hard on you? What was it like having your parents as teachers? Um, you got to get good grades. <laughs> um, yeah, you got anything below a B, then you're, you're in trouble. Um, yeah, so my dad was um, a coach. My dad was my high school coach, too, so that was um, 
he was pretty hard on me, um, but for the right reasons. You know, he wanted me to be disciplined, um, have respect, and all those things that football kind of entails into your own life um, after football's done. More importantly, he wanted me to get a scholarship, um, use my talents in a way that I can further my education and keep playing, doing what I love. So what first sparked your interest in football, and were you always an offensive lineman? Coming into high school, I wanted to play tight end and linebacker. That's, that's understandable. You can still do those. Um, I caught everything. My hands were great. I caught everything, <laughs> but um, my feet weren't fast enough. Um, and high school, freshman year was the first year I played um, tackle football. I had played, like, two-hand touch like when I was a little kid, like that organized like flag football league mm-hmm. stuff. But, yeah, freshman year was my first year of playing actual tackle football. So you weren't one of these big five-star recruits, as you said. You kind of had to work a little bit harder. And then you're at the All-American game, and you're, you're trying to recruit other guys to come with you to Florida. Who did you feel like you had an influence on getting to Florida, and who was maybe the, the one that got away for you? The one that got away was probably at the All-American game, my roommate, um, Adonis Thomas, mm. went to Bama, committed to Bama. But um, I thought that we had... I could have a chance to flip him. You know, I was there with him the whole week, so I was kind of in his ear, ear the whole time. And then the one that I think I got here, I think I got Tez here. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I came <laughs> here on a visit, um, and he was here too, so I hung around with him for a day, and we were just talking and hanging out. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and take the credit for that. <laughs> so you were sold on Florida really early on in the process. What was so big for you about being a Gator? Um, I'd grown up a Gator fan my pretty much my entire life. I was close to home. I'm from Jacksonville. It was only an hour and 20 down the road. Um, So that's huge because every now and then I get to go home, see my parents for a weekend. Um, They get to come up here and just stop in, pop their heads in. Um, Especially they're still close to home now with them being in Orlando. Maybe what, like an hour and a half, two hours? Depends how fast you go. Yeah, so an hour and hour 45. Um, (laughs) Call an hour 45. Yeah, hour 45. So it's not too too bad of a drive. That's another thing. and I think during my recruitment, um, after Coach Muschamp left, I had talked to some other coaches just to kind of give myself a backup plan um, at different schools, um, set up some like officials, but nothing was really like official yet that I was going to go on them. And then I saw Coach Matt got hired, and then I reached out to um, one of the recruiting guys, and he told me to come in and come meet Coach Mack um, one of his first days in, his, in the office, um, came, sat down, had lunch with him and you know got a good feel for the school and what all he was about. How challenging was that being part of that transition class? Because obviously you've got it set, you're going to come play for Coach Muschamp, that's who you've been recruited by, and then that change happens. How much does that shift the recruiting process? Um, it was big, you know. Um, I had I developed a relationship with um, Coach Muschamp throughout recruiting um, and all the other coaches on the staff that left with him. But, you know, once I came in and talked to Coach Mack, um, pretty much said I was in his plans um, and that he didn't or he wanted me still um, in his recruiting class. Um, I decided to stick with it and keep recruiting for him. Coach Mack is really focused on the offensive line as being a big part of the future of this program. As you've developed over this year, in what areas do you think the unit has improved the most and where do you think the most work still needs to be done? Um, I think run blocking is our, we've improved a ton on and that showed um, Saturday at LSU, you know, we handed the ball over that one drive um, late in the game where we just kept handing the ball off, handing the ball off, and we drove down the field on them. Um, and I think that's one place that we've excelled um, greatly. One thing we need to work on is um, 
being consistent, I think. You know, there's days where we're in practice where we'll do really, really good, and then there's days where we won't do as good. Um, so we just need to be consistent through the whole week, um, and that'll eventually transition to Saturday. Where do you think the inconsistency comes from? Is it about youth? Is it about something else? What do you see from your perspective? I'm not really sure. Some days people have good days. Some days people have bad days. And we just got to keep that high energy in the building at all times. You know, if somebody's having a bad day, we got to get other people to come in and pick them up, um, get some energy in them. As an underclassman, I'm curious, through your first two years, which upperclassman has had the biggest impact on you and your development? Um, I'd have to say... Probably Cam, Cam Dillard. He's kind of like, I was joking around, call him dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is a dad, so it Yeah, works. well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but he kind of showed me the ropes um, and how to do everything um, like he does, really, or how an SEC offensive lineman handles things um, and an SEC program. When I talk to quarterbacks, receivers, DBs, I always like to ask them what NFL players they look up to, and it's always names people know. The offensive line is a less flashy position, but are there guys the next level who you look up to and try and mold yourself after? Um, I think the Pouncey Twins, I mean, they're both they're both Gators. Um, that's a big one. I think that um, Matt Khalil, he's a hell of an offensive lineman, and I try to mold my game after him as well. So preparing for FSU, how much of a confidence boost is the LSU win? Um, well, we know that um, we're a good team. I mean, that win just proved it even more. We've still got things to work on, but um, our confidence level is definitely higher, and it's been high throughout the whole season. One of the storylines this week is the senior class looking for their first win against Florida State. How much does that get discussed in the locker room, and how much of a motivating carrot is that? That was the first time that I've heard that. Um, I didn't realize that. Wow. Um, but I think for these seniors, they've got it in the back of their minds that they've got to go out and beat these guys, come out with a W. And for me and all the other underclassmen, um, we're going to do everything we can. It was like kind of like um, senior day, you know. Mm-hmm. we got to give these seniors a win on their senior day, and we did. So we just got to keep working all week to um, help them out with that. There's a lot of rivals over the course of the year, and it seems LSU is now a rival as well after what happened. But what separates FSU? What makes this rivalry so unique? Um, I mean, last year they came when they cut our turf out of our field. Um, so that makes it personal, you know. Um, they're the people up the road from us, and we don't like them. How many Seminoles do you personally know, or have you played with, interacted with, and maybe talking to this week? Um, I didn't play against them, but um, Demarcus Walker, I played against him last year, and he went to Sandalwood High School in Jacksonville, so he's a Duval guy. Um, I know one of their defensive backs, Marcus Lewis, and then I know um, DeAndre Francois from the Under Armour game. So in the film that you've seen so far and based on your knowledge of, of some of these key players, what do you think are the keys to beating FSU? Um, we got a pass block. we got to pass protect um, extremely well. They're leading the nation in sacks. Um, that's one thing we got to emphasize this week because they're going to come after the, they're going to come after the quarterback. What have you seen that makes them so good at getting after the quarterback, and how does that shift what you're trying to do? Um, looking at DeMarcus Walker, he's a fast twitch guy. Um, he's got great hands, um, explosiveness off the ball. Um, and then the inside, there's two big guys that um, are pretty athletic, and they can um, they can push you around a little bit. While we're always quick to define games and moments in our modern sports culture, many believe Jim McElwain got both a legendary play and a signature win in one fell swoop against LSU. As we broke down the win in Baton Rouge and looked ahead toward Florida State, 
We asked FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to put the accomplishment in perspective. Oh, I can't argue that, Adam. I mean, I wrote in my column that I think it may be their biggest win as a program really since, you know, winning the national title in 2008. The reason I say that is because obviously, you know, the next year they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And if you look at it, that's where really the shift of power happened in the SEC. It was with Florida been with Alabama ever since and while the Gators have had some important wins to go to LSU on the road 13 and a half point underdog the storyline was there's really no way the Gators are going to win this game and you know I didn't really see it coming certainly not the way it happened with the goal line stand at the end but I do think uh, it was certainly Jim McElwain's uh, biggest win at Florida you remember last year they beat Ole Miss and Tennessee. Both were home. And in retrospect, both of those wins maybe uh, were looked at differently because both of those teams went on to maybe not be as strong in the end as they were at the start of the season. But I think any time you go to LSU, I mean, LSU, this is a good team. They're 6-4, and four, but they played Alabama tougher than any other school in the country this year. And uh, it could have easily gone either way. One play to decide uh, the game, and obviously for Florida – the SEC East Championship on the line, and they got it done. And uh, I think you saw afterward, uh, Jim McElwain was pretty happy. He made a point of bringing up the hurricane kerfuffle. <laughs> and, and, I mean, really, it seemed like this meant a lot to them, maybe more than they let on in the pregame lead-up as well. Yeah, you know, looking back, I think they did a pretty good job of minimizing how much it really did mean to them. But afterward, you know, in a game like that, it tends to come out, emotion takes over, especially when, uh, you know, they got disrespected. That's what, you know, even Austin Appleby on down said things were being said, whether it was on social media or the, the mainstream media out in uh, Louisiana or, you know, just typical fan stuff. LSU fans had been hitting these guys pretty hard on social media. The whole scared to play, you know, why couldn't you have come after? Uh, it just doesn't work that way, Adam. I mean, it takes time and in the end, Florida agreed to go out there. They get these guys two years in a row here. And, I mean, Florida really couldn't have asked for a better scenario with all the talk and all the hoopla to go out there and win the game. But not just win the game, the way they won it. Sure. I mean, we're already calling that probably the greatest goal line stand in Gator football history because, first of all, I mean, they've had some good ones, but not on the road against LSU with the SEC East on the line, I mean, that's that's pretty big. So it was a momentous day for the program, uh, one that I think Florida fans will remember for a while. But more than anything, Adam, to me, one that this program needed. When you're trying to put it in perspective, I think that's what's interesting, not even from a Florida standpoint, but even in recent football history. I was trying to think about games that ended on a goal line stand where it was literally the last play of the game. The only one that came to mind was... Alabama-Georgia in the 2012 SEC title game was sort of of that ilk, but not even stopping someone right on the goal line the way that Florida did. So are there any plays or recent events you can think of that would match what Florida was able to accomplish there? Oh, boy. I mean, you got me. uh, But it's a good question, Adam. And that's what makes – I've always said this. I mean, I've never been a big guy on, like, predictions. or Mm. Thankfully, I don't gamble because – I would have lost money. <laughs> and a lot of people would have lost. A lot, a lot of people game. did lose a lot of money because <laughs> yes. of that game. I would have lost on that one. And, uh, you know, it's really, truly what makes sports fun. But the SEC, I mean, you look at it this year, and, I mean, it's really Alabama is clearly the elite team. And uh, and these other teams are just beating each other up. And, 
and Florida is the best of that bunch behind Alabama, and uh, I think they separated themselves some by going out to LSU, winning the East at a West Conference uh, foe stadium, and uh, it's going to set up an interesting uh, game in a couple weeks with Alabama. Most people didn't think Florida had the bodies to do what they did on defense. We know the names that are out. Tell us about some of the new names that stepped up and made plays that we'll be seeing in the future. Well, Adam, you're exactly right. The young players, I mean, that's a storyline that shouldn't be overlooked in this game because David Reese, for the second week in a row with Jared Davis out, he led the Gators in tackles. Uh, You know, he had 12 the other night, uh, had 11 against South Carolina. This is a true freshman just really making a difference. Another guy, Keelan Johnson, another linebacker. So you got those two guys. I really think Marcel Harris has truly stepped up with Marcus May out. He had 11 tackles. He was in with Jordan Sherritt on the final play. If you look at that replay real close, Jordan Sherritt and Marcel Harris grabbed uh, Darius Geis by his lower body and kind of tugged on him while Taven Bryan and the other guys formed a wall. I mean, that's what kept him out of the end zone. And uh, So you got those guys. And uh, offensively, I mean, Tyree Cleveland, we've heard about him. We've talked about him. Now we're seeing why he was the number two rated receiver in the country coming out of high school. 98-yard catch, and uh, Brandon Powell had told the local media, you know, he'd actually called that on the sideline. He says, hey, meet me in the end zone when they throw it deep to me because that's where <laughs> I'm going to be. So sure enough, that's where he ended up. Powell said he didn't really believe him, but he was glad he was right. Uh, but it, that was a funny little story. But, yeah, it's it's been those young players because anytime you lose players like Jared Davis, Alex Anzalone, Brian Cox, Marcus May. Now we found out Nick Washington, who got hurt against LSU, looks like he's going to be out against Florida State. So they just keep losing guys there. But another guy, Chauncey Gardner, who's really excelled on special teams, uh, he's going to get more of a a look in the secondary. So they are getting some uh, young guys to step up, and uh, it's been something they've had to have, or we wouldn't even be having this discussion of them going back to Atlanta. When there are big injuries, you have guys step up who maybe you didn't know what you were going to get from, and they might give you a little bit of a different element there. It seems like one of those is, is T.J. McCoy. I mean, Florida goes down against South Carolina to their third-string center, and now it seems like he's doing some things that have really helped that offensive line. He really is. Uh, he didn't even realize he was in the game the other day, which is always good for an offensive lineman, for a center, but... The players certainly knew that he was in there. Jim McElwain knew he was in there. Jim McElwain said he played his tail off, and he's really rejuvenated. I think his direct quote was he's brought a dose of fresh air up to that unit because, you know, you look at the difference in these last two games, Adam, against uh, South Carolina and at LSU. The offensive line has played well. That late drive uh, that led to an Eddie Pinero field goal in the uh, late in the game there, that was maybe the best drive Florida's had all year, the way they dominated the line of scrimmage. It didn't end the way they wanted because they were down at the goal line. They fumbled a pitch there, ended up with a field goal. But the way they dominated that line, and I was watching the, the sideline during that drive, and I've never seen like just the whole team knowing what was happening. And you could see how energetic and excited they were. McElwain said it's the first time in his career he's ever had a wide receiver come over, a group of receivers, and say, Coach, Let's keep pounding it. We'll take care of air blockers. Don't worry keep, about us. Keep pounding it. And uh, yeah, we got a kick out of that. But that just shows you that that unit took it on it. And going back to your original question, TJ McCoy has been a huge part of that. And just I did a big story on TJ last week in the, talking about his relationship with his dad. A lot of younger Gators won't remember Tony McCoy, but this guy in 1991 when they clinched their first SEC championship, 
uh, he was a huge part of that as a defensive tackle. He's been battling leukemia and, and cancer, and uh, he's been free of it for a year, and now he's watching his son play. And he told me last week that TJ plays a lot like he did as a defensive player. That's why he stands out on the offensive line because he attacks the game with the defensive tackles mentality. And, uh, you know, TJ spent some time on the defensive line in high school, but his senior year, the coaches there at South Lake High School wanted him to go full time to center. And it earned him a scholarship. And, you know, he got here in a, a little different way when he went to North Carolina State. You remember, he early enrolled there, only spent the spring there when he found out Tony's cancer had returned. And he had to weigh all of his options. Uh, he wanted, he knew, he, number one, he wanted to be back near his family. They're really close. Uh, Florida offered him a scholarship uh, at the last minute that summer. He came here, and now he's, you know, he started the LSU game and the, probably will be in Florida State. He's just added a, a, made a real difference there for a first-year player. It helps make him and the rest of the line look better when you got Jordan Scarlett pounding the ball and we saw earlier in the year it was a, a four-back rotation, kind of switching guys in and out. No one was the guy. It seems like now Jordan Scarlett has really taken the mantle and saying, I am the guy, and he's backing it up with his performance. Yeah, that's and that's, you know, McElwain talked about that earlier. He said basically they were looking at that position. They wanted to kind of have a guy organically just break out. And it took a while, but it has been Jordan Scarlett of late. They're obviously still using uh, Michael Pirine there. I mean, I thought he had maybe the run of the game, believe it or not, that one uh, 20-some-yard carry where he carried all the defenders. Dragging bodies with him. Yeah, it was a great run, but it was definitely Jordan Scarlett's show and his drive. I mean, the way he ran, it opened a lot of people's eyes. Uh, Austin Appleby said he looked like he was running like he was possessed. You know, <laughs> And, it, I mean, he had a 100 and uh, eight yards on 22 carries, and you're going into that game thinking, okay, if Florida's going to win this game, they're going to have to at least limit Leonard Fournette or Darius Geis to keep them somewhere under 150, maybe 200. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, here Jordan Scarlett ends up with the game-high rushing total, and a lot of that goes to his development, his approach, but also the offensive line, which we discussed earlier. I mean, you got to give those guys a lot of credit up front because two weeks ago when they went out to Arkansas, I mean, that was a deflated group after that game. They got manhandled out there, and uh, they've really uh, tapped into their reserves, and uh, the last two weeks have been a different unit, and the Gators have looked like a different team. So this sets up an interesting situation for Florida. Usually if they clinch the East, they've got a game before Florida State. They've got a Presbyterian, something like that. Now you go at LSU the next week at Florida State, and, and a really impactful game, Scott, because this senior class for Florida has never beaten the Seminoles. So this is a this is a big week before you even get to the SEC championship. No, you're right, uh, Adam. It's a huge week, and um, this game is always special. Uh, but for Florida, I think it's really important because they are coming off this big win at LSU. They finally got some confidence, and, and Jim McElwain talked about this too earlier. He said basically they haven't really followed up a big-time win with another big-time win mm-hmm. during his time here. And that's what they're looking for over in Tallahassee. And, you know, to capitalize on everything that happened at LSU, I mean, getting another win really does change this mindset of this team going into the SEC championship. Because last year, this is when the the team really started to just kind of crumble. They got beat up by Florida State here at the Swamp. Then they lose to Alabama. Then obviously dropped an egg against Michigan in the uh, in the bowl game. And uh, they're trying to avoid that kind of drop-off this year. I think... Uh, 
They're going to go over to Tallahassee. It's going to be a very similar mindset as they took the LSU. Florida State leads the country in sacks, so you know the offensive line is going to have to do its work in the passing game. Continue to block well for the run game, and you're taking a defense over there that's still going to be without some key players. So you're still going to rely on those young players we mentioned earlier, Reese and uh, you know Keelan Johnson and Chauncey Gardner, and a lot of guys who have never played in games like this, first time in this series, and they have not beaten Florida State since 2012. That would happen in Tallahassee. And one thing I remember about that game, uh, Adam, the Gators were, you know, they were underdogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a true freshman that made the biggest play of the game, Antonio Morrison. I don't know if you remember the late hit yep, on uh, E.J. Manuel caused the fumble. It really kind of turned the momentum to Florida's favor, and they took off from there and really ran away in the second half. And, uh, you know, can they recapture that kind of magic? Uh, we'll see. But it's a, it's a rivalry that Florida State's dominated the last few years. It's always ran in cycles. But one cycle that the Gators do not want to repeat itself. They haven't lost to the Simmels four consecutive times since 1987 to 1990. So they would definitely like to avoid that. And it's a different kind of matchup, too, than LSU. LSU is defense versus defense, strength versus strength. Florida State really known for their offense, so it's going to seem like the, the onus will be a little bit more on Florida's offense to go out there and score more points because you know FSU is probably going to put some points on the board with DeAndre Francois and, of course, Dalvin Cook at running back. Yeah, well, uh, Dalvin Cook, he's as dangerous as any player in the country, and uh, again, I'm going to refer to something Jim McElwain said because he's, he's been watching some film on Sunday of uh, Dalvin Cook getting ready for this matchup, and he says, you know what? He enjoys watching that guy play because he is so dangerous. Calls him the most dangerous playmaker in college football from what he's seen. And, you know, it's hard to argue that he, he broke Warwick Dunn's uh, FSU career rushing record uh, last week. Uh, he's been a nemesis for the Gators. I mean, he, you know, he had an impact in really the last two years when he's been there. Uh, it's going to be a huge challenge, but, you know, last week they had a two-headed monster to face in Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette. Fournette wasn't 100% and really didn't factor in that much, but they, they limited Geis to, I think, 81 yards. And, you know, this defense, uh, every time you kind of start wondering if they can keep up what they're doing, they, they kind of surprise you. That's what I saw over at uh, LSU, and they're going to have to come up with a very uh, similar performance, Adam. I mean, you can't stop uh, Delvin Cook with one guy, Dalvin Cook. It's got to be a, a collective effort. You're going to have to get good production from your defensive line. You're going to have to get some push. You're going to have to have those young linebackers be on a lot of tackles and bring him down at first contact, which is not easy. And then when he does bounce off the first uh, contact, your defensive backs have to be right there to you know try to get him to the ground because once he gets what the coaches love to call second level, mm-hmm. well, he's, uh, he's double dangerous. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher and leave a review to help us continue to grow. In the meantime, don't miss the Share a Little Sunshine showdown on Saturday night between Florida and Florida State, live at 8 o'clock on ABC and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We hope everyone has a very happy Thanksgiving and look forward to bringing you an SEC Championship Preview show next week. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Tallahassee.